Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. A well-functioning public service relies on good leaders with the right skills and attributes. The recently published Charter of Leadership Behaviours outlines the type of positive behaviours that APS leaders need to exhibit. So what does great APS leadership look like and how can we nurture it so that it delivers great outcomes? In today's episode, Professor Glyn Davis AC, the new Secretary of the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, delivers a keynote address about what he sees as great APS leadership. The address was followed by a conversation with David Fredericks, PSM, the Secretary of the Department of Climate Change, Energy, Environment and Water, Natalie James, the Secretary of the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations, and Peter Woolcott, the Australian Public Service Commissioner. The discussion begins with the voice of Carmel McGregor. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to this uh, IPA event on APS leadership rising to the road ahead. Uh, I'm Carmel McGregor, and I'll be your host and facilitator today. Uh, I've had the pleasure and privilege of working in many parts of the Australian public service during my career, and have also had a long association with IPA, so it's great. Uh, I'm delighted to be here to bring today's event forward. And I'd also like to start today by acknowledging the Ngunnawal people, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, and to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge and respect their continuing culture and contribution that they make to the life of this city and region. Could I also extend the acknowledgement to traditional custodians of the land if you, uh, you're watching from today and pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. Uh, today's event will explore great APS leadership, what it looks like, how we nurture it and how it helps us deliver great outcomes. You'll hear from some of the most senior leaders in the Australian Public Service about what matters most on the road ahead and what they want to see from leaders at all levels. These speakers will reflect on the leadership behaviours that have helped the APS rise to the challenges of recent years, the role leaders will play in future APS reform and how they themselves navigate uh, leadership challenges. And our speakers will also discuss how we bring adaptive systems leadership to life in a modern APS, and crucially, how you can apply these ideas in your own roles. It's my pleasure now to introduce uh, Professor Glenn Davis, and I'll just give you a bit of an introduction, uh, touch lightly on his career. Um, He was appointed as Secretary to the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet with effect 6 June 2022, Prior to his uh, appointment, Professor Davis served as the CEO of the Paul Ramsey Foundation, Australia's largest charitable foundation with a mission to break the cycle of disadvantage. In his academic life, Professor Davis has served as Vice-Chancellor at the University of Melbourne and Griffith University, and until recently, Distinguished Professor of Political Science in the Crawford School of Public Policy at ANU. 
Professor Davis is a public policy specialist with experience in government and higher education, and he delivered in 2010 the Boyer Lectures on the theme, Republic of Learning. I could go on, but that's just a taster. Can you please join me in welcoming Professor Davis? Thank you, Carmel. And I'm very impressed by an audience that goes quiet at exactly the right <laughs> starting time. Thank you. Uh, can I welcome, join Carmel in welcoming everyone here, and I join colleagues, of course, in acknowledging the original owners of this unceded land where we meet. And thank the IPA team for the invitation to say a few words, and it will just be a few words, to open this session. Now, I confess some unease on learning that this event was swiftly sold out. Um, I've been back in the APS just a few weeks. So what useful could I tell an audience of committed, experienced, battle-hardened APS professionals, people who lead teams, both small and large? So it was a relief to learn that it's a panel event and you'll actually hear from some of our best and brightest sharing their APS leadership insights with us this morning. And, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing from Natalie James, from David Fredericks and from Peter Wolcott, each an ethical person each with a sharp mind and a deep commitment to public service. The breadth of the agencies represented on the panel is a reminder that public service takes many forms, from policy advice to service delivery, from helping the disadvantaged to addressing climate change, shaping industrial relations, or, given where we are, making brilliant art available to every visitor to Canberra. And um, such art, as we find here at the National Gallery of Australia, offered free to the community, sits in this extraordinary building, a reminder that the public service contributes to the fabric, the physical fabric of this city and beyond. And indeed, when the National Gallery of Australia opened, it provoked a really lively debate about whether government should use architecture to make grand statements. Not only was there a debate about blue poles in the building, there was a debate about the building itself. Now, if you want to experience that debate, you won't find it here. You have to go into the original wing, go upstairs and have a look above you at the extraordinary constellation of uh, tessellating concrete triangles built into the roof of this building. You'll see how the triangular patterns built into a honeycomb, multiplying into tecahedrons and uh, octahedrons, um, replicating what the then commissioning architect, Cole Madigan, called a timeless order. In fact, the design of this entire original building, uh, before this extension was added, was based on triangles. The architect was inspired by Plato and Euclid um, and by Pythagoras. Cole Madigan wanted the epic geometry of his design to express, as he put it, the infinite evolution of human knowledge expressed as philosophy and religion and reason and science and art. Knowledge, said Madigan in his architectural design statement, makes prodigious journeys. It seems to me that's a lot of weight for a government building to have to carry. Um, and geometry tells us a whole lot about knowledge, but about leadership, not so much. For strict lines and spatial order and the logic and the cold beauty of pure form are a vast distance from the rather messy, contingent, unceasing business of leadership. No one has to marshal triangles or tell them what to do. 
Tetrahedrons are always well behaved. They stay perfectly still. Octahedrons can hold up the ceiling, but they can't make much anything else happen. But leadership, leadership is about people, not the abstraction of geometry. And people not easily locked into place, not easily held indefinitely in attractive shapes. People have minds of their own. They have ambitions and understanding which demands and deserves attention. Immanuel Kant wrote, and I quote, out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. Dementia gewacht ish. Out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. And Kant said this not in despair, but as a recognition that people don't follow neat lines, they don't stand in silent order. His practical point was that we need to recognise the contingent nature of working together. Um, we need to avoid restricting people in all their difference into illogical or organisational straitjackets. So while in an art gallery we can express knowledge um, through form, leadership requires conversation and negotiation and dealing with flesh and blood. Leadership must take an abstract goal, a, a mission, a, a task, and then cooperate with others to make it happen. Now, I know we organise ourselves into neat structures, into agencies with clear departmental hierarchies and apparently orderly flows of accountability, but we all know that's not our entire lived reality. If you have to rely on an organisational chart to demand attention, you're not much of a leader. But if, regardless of formal lines, you can share ideas and you can empower others and you can draw on diversity of opinion and experience to achieve a shared goal, then you're exactly the type of leader we need in the Australian public service. Of course, working from the material at hand implies an uncomfortable truth, that there's no single and simple formula for good leadership. People and circumstances shape what's possible. Leadership is adaptation, it's improvisation, it's not a neat line of triangles arranged as a symbol. I know our panellists this morning will help us see that leadership can be found everywhere and in everyone. It's about judgment. It's about values. It's about a unique personal style that complements and contributes to a collective effort. And this aspiration to share values but acknowledge personal differences, I think is expressed very well in the new Secretary's Charter of Leadership Behaviour, which you will find conveniently on your seats, um, which, which David and Peter and many in this room have worked really hard to shape. It is itself a collective effort. And the Charter, of course, contains many of the qualities and leaders that I admire, an inquiring mind, a positive attitude, active listening, and treating people with decency and respect these are values, but they can also become lasting habits. So let me finish where we start in this extraordinary place. Next month, it'll be 40 years since this building, the National Gallery of Australia, opened. It took nine years of construction, but there was a grand event here on the 12th of October, 1982. A thousand special guests waited to hear Her Majesty the Queen declare the building complete and open to the public. Sadly, I didn't make the rarefied guest list on opening night, though I was in Canberra, 
and I recall the excitement at seeing the National Art Collection finally on display. Indeed, as the gallery opened, I'd just taken leave from my doctoral, doctoral work at ANU to begin my first APS job as a research assistant grade one, a classification that no longer exists. I spent long hours working in the Library of the Public Service Board, an organisation which no longer exists, to inform a review of the APS, the Reed Report, which has been long forgotten. Nonetheless, it was a great introduction to this huge enterprise, which is the APS, a first glimpse for me at the extraordinary people and commitment which animate public service. And in the decades which followed, I returned in 2010 to work on a review of the public service commissioned by Terry Moran, and in 2018 to join the independent review of the APS chaired by David Thody, where I worked with my good colleague, Gordon DeBrow. And each of these reviews revealed for me the complexity, the challenge of delivering nationally consistent programs across a continent. I saw so many different missions threaded together through the sector and just an extraordinary underlying commitment to serving the public, which I found in every agency. And I saw and I continue to see the values of the Leadership Charter as lived practice. So it was a real unexpected honour to be invited to return to Canberra in June 2022, in fact on Queensland Day, and to become one more piece of crooked timber in the collective effort we call the APS. I'm delighted to join all of you in this prestigious journey and together to support the people of Australia, a task that's never finished but it's always worth doing, a task that needs leaders. And so, Carmel, to our distinguished panel, thank you. Well, thanks, Glenn, and I'm delighted that this crooked uh, timber of humanity can now join the other panel members, and I'll, go, I'll just give a, a bit of an introduction. So, moving now to the panel session, um, uh, could I uh, firstly just give a bit of a background on uh, both uh, David, Natalie, and um, Peter, uh, and then ask uh, David to come forward firstly, but um, the rest to join us here on the stage. Uh, David uh, Fredericks was appointed Secretary of the newly created Department of Climate Change, Energy, the Environment and Water. Uh, he's had extensive senior experience engaging on policy and budget uh, with the, uh, within the APS and Minister's offices, as well as Secretary experience in both the Department of Industry, Science and Resources and the Department of environment and energy. He has experience at the Deputy Secretary level at the Attorney-General's Department and Department of Finance. He has held ministerial advisor roles at both the Commonwealth and state levels and prior to that he served in the Solomon Islands Ministry of Treasury and Finance. Uh, Natalie James, welcome Natalie. Natalie was appointed Secretary of the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations on 11 July 2022. Uh, Ms James has an extensive career in the public service and, in, and employment and workplace relations. From 2005 until 2010, she was Chief Counsel at the Department of Education, Employment and Workplace Relations and, for, and later a State Manager of the Department in 2010. In 2013, she was appointed the Fair Work Ombudsman for the Commonwealth and recently uh, uh, Ms James has been a partner at Deloitte Australia. Um, 
Peter Woolcott. I'm going to give you a very brief intro, Peter. Everyone knows you. Uh, you joined the, as the APS Commissioner on, uh, in 2018. Uh, prior to that, had a distinguished career in the Australian public service in senior diplomatic positions around the world. Um, so can I ask the um, panel to uh, join me and then I'll ask David to firstly take us through his remarks. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much uh, for that very kind uh, introduction. Uh, and Glyn, thank you very much for your uh, opening remarks. And can I just say, uh, this is my first opportunity publicly to welcome you uh, to the public service uh, again uh, and to thank you for taking on what uh, I know is a very difficult role, a very important role and a role in which uh, I can say to everybody here in this audience, uh, Glenn has already uh, manifested for we as secretaries the sort of leadership behaviours uh, that we're talking about today. So I'm very grateful for that. <clears throat> Uh, can um, I just start by saying, um, <clears throat> you'll have to forgive me, I've got a bit of a lurgy as you can hear. Um, can I just start by saying I was really uh, grateful to have the opportunity to contribute to this discussion today uh, on the panel because I am quite proud of uh, the work that uh, was done uh, in uh, creating the Secretary's Charter uh, of Leadership Behaviours. Uh, I must at this point um, uh, recognise the work that uh, a good friend of mine, Simon Atkinson, uh, did. Uh, it was a joint effort between uh, the two of us and he really was the, the driving momentum behind uh, the Charter uh, and I'm very, very grateful to Simon for that and we all should be. Uh, and I should also call out Ashley Sedgwick as well, uh, who did a magnificent job of supporting us uh, in that journey. Um, it is a really nice opportunity. I'll be relatively brief because I know people will be wanting to ask questions. Um, but this is a nice opportunity for me just to say that I personally engage very strongly with the, with the development of the Charter, uh, and all secretaries did. Uh, I can talk a little bit more about that. Because certainly my lived journey as a leader, um, through the public service, uh, in ministerial offices, was that um, I think that I am the leader that I am today uh, for all my good and bad, uh, by and large as a result of my observation and learnings from the behaviours of others. Uh, that's not to decry the importance of, of intellectual learning, uh, of uh, discipline around values, uh, around development of skills and attributes. These are very important qualities uh, both for all of us as public servants, but us as leaders as well. But I do think that when it comes to leadership, uh, the, that I personally uh, developed most of my characteristics as a leader from observing the behaviour of others. And I can be frank, there are people in this room uh, who have been part of the education of me uh, as a leader. And if you reflect on life more generally, uh, if you reflect on how we grow as kids, how we conduct ourselves as teenagers, how we conduct ourselves in clubs, in communities, that learning that you get from observing of others and making your own judgment about what's good and what's bad, making your own judgment about what works in terms of your own personality, um, 
I think is the sort of secret source of learning how to be a leader. Um, and so in many ways, um, uh, I often say uh, to my leadership cohort, and this applies to everybody in this room who is in a leadership position, whatever it is and where it is, your teams, your staff, your people will always be watching you. Always. They will always be learning from you. They'll always be taking their cues from you. They'll always be making judgments about you. And that can either be a burden or it can be a wonderful opportunity. And for me, one of the the great joys I now get out of being a leader in the public service is I know I get to influence good people to be the best possible people they can be. And the Charter of Leadership Behaviours is an attempt to say to leaders across the public service, these are the type of behaviours, these are the positive behaviours that we need you to exhibit because we need your staff to see these behaviours. We need these behaviours to be reinforced. We need them to be lived. We need them to be praised. And we need them to become part of the DNA of the Australian Public Service at all levels. Um, that's what drove the creation of the Secretary's Charter of um, Leadership Behaviours. And can I just say, the reference to secretaries is very, very important. Because at the end of the day, I was incredibly proud of the extraordinarily personal commitment that each and every secretary took to the development of this charter. Simon and I had conversations with every secretary in order to get their judgments, their views about what are the sort of behaviours that they wanted to see reinforced. That was important because we were drawing on this wonderful source of life experience and work experience and personalities. Um, I'm a collectivist and to be able to draw on that great collective in order to generate this charter was a wonderful thing. But frankly, more importantly, it meant that each and every secretary buys into the charter, lives the charter, owns the charter, and therefore you have every right to expect us to exhibit those behaviours. Um, so I hold myself accountable for those behaviours. Every secretary holds themselves accountable for those behaviours. And can I just say, to come to an end, I've certainly been uh, determined subsequently, both in my previous department of Dizer and now in DQ, to ensure that we have a really strong effort at, at driving these behaviours through my organisations. Uh, and so... Uh, I've gone out of my way to make sure that all staff in my departments and all staff in my portfolio agencies have very strong visibility of the behaviours and a clear understanding that they have the right to hold their leadership accountable for those behaviours. Um, and I deliberately went to the whole department because I just want to be clear, this Charter of Leadership Behaviours applies to leaders everywhere in the Australian Public Service at whatever level. It is not an SES Charter of Leadership Behaviours. It is a Leaders Charter of Leadership Behaviours. 
And as you all know, there are leaders at all levels of the public service because at the end of the day, all of you in one way, shape or form are role models for others in your organisation. Um, I've also ensured that it's, um, I've impressed upon our SES to ensure that they understand the critical importance of this and lastly, we are now in the process of making these leadership behaviours part of our formal um, uh, systems, uh, leadership systems, as well as our performance systems as well. So um, I'll leave it there, but can I just uh, end by saying, um, obviously very happy to take questions, but last I do just want to reflect on the fact of how grateful I am that there is such a wonderful attendance here today. I know there were some people who weren't able to come, but for me it shows that people in the public service have a thirst to understand and learn from others. And to be really honest with you, I think if you have that thirst, you're not going to go wrong. So thank you. Well, thanks, um, thanks so much, David. Uh, it's wonderful to hear how this has all come about and we'll explore some of those uh, the themes you've touched on in, in the questions and similarly the, the challenge uh, Glyn put out about empowerment, sharing ideas and all of those sorts of things which seem embedded in the, uh, the uh, behaviours. Um, can I now ask uh, Natalie to reflect and it, it will be very interesting, I think, perspective given Natalie's sort of just rejoined uh, the APS but has also brought that uh, experience from outside the public service. So over to you, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you very much, Carmel, and it's a pleasure to be here today. I'm, I've, I'm, I must admit, I haven't been back very long, even less time than Glyn, and I'm sometimes still waking up thinking, where am I and what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Um, but, um, it, you know, I, Carmel mentioned the fact that I'd been out in the private sector for a while, um, in this other planet, particularly a different planet, and I used to say planet Deloitte um, uh, of professional services. And so it's interesting, you know, the public service is known for being hierarchical and I am feeling that, having come back, this kind of hierarchy with all of its benefits, but it can also be, uh, even when you're at the top of it, allegedly, a little bit stifling, feel a bit strange because Glenn talked about, you know, if you're relying on your position in the org chart, then you're not really a leader. Well, in professional services, there is no wall chart. You've got no idea what all these people are doing. Um, everyone's called a partner. There are hundreds of them. Um, and one thing I will say about my time in Deloitte is I certainly observed much more junior people carrying a lot more responsibility than perhaps what we're used to here in the public sector. And one of the things I love about the charter is its focus on empowering people. And I think within a hierarchy that that can be tricky um, because I must concede and it makes me a bit uncomfortable since I've become secretary of the new Department of Employment and Workplace Relations. I have been spending most of my time with deputy secretaries and first assistant secretaries. Um, and um, as I sort of connect with and reconnect with some old colleagues um, who are lower down the hierarchy, I, I get so much from it. Um, when I reconnect with these people and hear their perspective. And so part of leadership is very much getting out there um, and connecting with everyone, which can be hard um, because we are called upon as secretaries um, to manage many stakeholders. 
um, the most significant, of course, being ministers. And um, so when I was asked to reflect on leadership, there, there are two words that came to mind to me, inspire and support. Um, it is your job as a leader to inspire your people. Why should they follow you? Um, why should they do what you say because of your position in an org chart? No, it, it, it's got to be uh, a perspective and a style um, that that is about being with your people uh, as much as being in front of them. And 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 to my mind, the listening piece um, is really important. That value others and listen. One of the things I think some of my folk have found a little bit disarming is they will often ask me what I think or want to do. And it's very common for me to say, what do you think? You should always have an opinion. Um, and as a leader, it's my job to understand what that is and to bring that out. And if you don't feel confident in sharing that, that that's a leadership failing on my part because you are more expert than I am in whatever it is we're, we're talking about. With the support piece, I think... Um, in the last few years, we've talked a lot about support and sometimes support means words of support or hugs when we're allowed to do that um, or pats on the head, but sometimes it means tough things too, tough talk, honest talk, direct talk, um, openness, but being prepared to say difficult things. Um, it is important, I think, to always reflect on in the small and large ways, reflect on the small and large ways in which we can have an impact on people and at Deloitte, um, their mantra was to have an impact that matters. And, I mean, of course, their mantra was also their business to make money. Um, and I was in a very commercial environment, which took some adjusting to. But one of the things, one of the ways they translated that impact piece was when it came to performance discussions... Um, in this kind of business, there are a lot of... Me there's metrics, right? And it is about money, utilisation, revenue, margin. Um, and people have targets. Um, but the impact piece was an equal part of the assessment of how someone was travelling. And so people uh, were assessed based on the impact they had had on their team members, on their clients, on the business, on the practice. What impact have you had? And I think as leaders it's always really important to reflect on that. Some days we might not feel like we've had much of an impact or maybe not the most positive impact. Um, we all have days that aren't as good as others. Um, and so while it's important we model these behaviours, I feel like part of modelling these behaviours is also um, that there's an element of self-care or knowing your limits or boundary setting here as well. Um, you know, I, I think it's really important, and I've learned over time, that uh, you need to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. It's a little bit... I've been spending a lot of time on planes. It's a little bit like the oxygen mask, right? Um, but if you're not in a good place, how can you support and inspire others? I, I know I find that difficult. I'm not good at faking it. Um, and I think part of leadership is being able to be authentic. And sometimes you do need to push past how you're feeling on the particular day. But I do think it's important as leaders that our people see us prioritising a degree of self-care. Um, and so there are lots of different ways in which we can model that. Uh, we can model that by telling our people whose lights are green late into the evening to go to bed. Um, we can model that by uh, leaving work at a decent hour or saying, if you need me, you're going to need to call me because I don't sit on my emails all night. Um, 
that's my, my wind down time. There are lots of different ways and we all have our, our own things, I guess. But I do think, um, and it, it is Are You OK Day this week, um, and we've spent a lot of time in the last two years asking people that kind of question. Um, it is important as leaders to ask ourselves that question because sometimes we're probably not. And as leaders, sometimes it can be hard to recognise that, acknowledge that, and even harder to work out what to do about it. Um, so, um, look, I, I'm going to pause there because I think um, that's a, a fairly discursive reflection on, on my thoughts on leadership re-entering the public service and I'm looking forward to hearing your questions and thoughts um, and the comments of others. Uh, thanks for that. Now, it says terrific, Natalie. And each of you have really touched on things that are expressed and... and, and within the Charter and Glenn right from the start where you talked about regardless of the formal lines, the sharing ideas, empowering others, each, each of you uh, have touched on that. Also thrown out some challenges around the, the hierarchy, um, inspiring, having that sort of, uh, and each of you treating your people with such decency and respect. So uh, they're terrific messages that you've um, imparted today and also thrown a challenge out to others to um, live those very behaviours and values themselves. I guess it leads me in my first question to whoever would like to answer. Um, how are you, now that this has sort of been agreed and secretaries have, uh, have embraced it as well, how are you bringing these behaviours or this, this charter to life in your own organisations? Now, and can... Or the architect, David, you might well, like I was going to say, I, I mean, I, I touched on that. You did. Um, but just to sort of reaffirm that, uh, I've certainly, as I said, I think the important thing about the Charter is that uh, it was designed in order to be able to speak to leaders in the public service wherever they are um, and at whatever level they are. To pick up Natalie's point, uh, we wanted to push past hierarchy and talk to leaders uh, where they are. And so for me, therefore, my focus in, in um, driving this through my organisations has been as a whole of department exercise. Um, and so uh, I've um, talked to the, uh, my various, both of my departments uh, about the charter. I've emphasised the criticality of it uh, in the culture of the organisation, and that's really important. In, in my view, at the end of the day, these behaviours are about culture, and to sort of Glyn's point, it's not about org chart, it's about culture that leaders exhibit. Uh, and so I've uh, taken a whole of department approach uh, on that basis, uh, and um, uh, as I say, I'm also now going to formalise it through our uh, formal uh, learning and development and our leadership frameworks as well. Okay, thank you. Would uh, Natalie or Glyn, would you like to comment as well? Uh, yes, look, uh, from our point of view, we are a new department and we're just beginning in amongst all of the things that need to be done when you uh, create a new department to, to talk about culture. And to me, I, to my mind, I absolutely agree. This is about the the culture of, of how we operate. And I would like to think that many components of the Charter are already alive and well in Dewar, but I also think we've got the opportunity with the new department to really set 
that culture and and perhaps set some different ways of of operating. You know, I think um, when I look at these um, behaviours, I, I think perhaps the empower piece might be the more challenging for for some of our more senior leaders because we're used to carrying a lot of responsibility. I mean, who is it that the minister or the chief of staff calls? If it's me, then I feel like I need to be responsive personally. And 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 I think there is this um, peace and risk, I suppose, involved in um, enabling the full range of people in the hierarchy to to participate in fully in, in the work we do. Um, and perhaps more fully, uh, what I would say, particularly having come out of a, a world where I'm you know, I'm, much more junior people are, they're not only operating with more responsibility, they're expected to. Um, you know, I have seen what people with, with um, much less experience perhaps than some of us in this room can do when, when you ask them, when you expect it of them, when you give them the space. But that involves risk. That can sound a bit scary to a leader who... By and large, we, we kind of get promoted based on our ability to deliver things ourselves. So this, there's this weird dissonance because uh, you've got to let go of that. Um, and I guess one of the reasons, I'm not saying I'm great at it, but because I've had some very different jobs and I've gone into jobs where I've not had um, the experience, I've had to rely on others as a state manager. I didn't know what these programs were. <laughs> I was a lawyer and then I was a state manager. You know, you, you learn you've got to trust others. And so the empowerment piece, I think possibly requires more work and, and um, discussion about what that looks like. What does that look like, I think, is a question we need to put to our people. Yeah. Lynn, just for you to comment, but I was also then wondering, like, how will you know that your secretaries are all, you know, living, breathing these, uh, these behaviours as well when they're sitting around your secretary's board? So uh, an important innovation that starts in 2010 and rolls through maybe 2011 is the Secretary's Board and it's eventually captured in legislation. And it, the legislation requires secretaries not just to work together but actually empowers them to make decisions which are binding on across the APS, which is different from previous regimes. And that's important because it requires the secretaries to work together around shared goals in a way that may not have been as apparent before. And I think that's going to be, for us, the test of whether the values in drive are captured in the way secretaries behave when they're working with peers, particularly when asked to make decisions that they may not agree with. And that's going to happen, and naturally it's going to happen when you're asking people to give up authority in a particular area in order to get to a shared outcome. That's just part of the consequence. So I think the Secretary's Board will be a really good test of whether these values have pervaded. Uh, my experience is, Natalie, is that I arrived in a department where I could see these values very much in evidence already, but empower is probably the difficult one because empower and hierarchy don't go together all that well and how you do that in an effective way is a really problem. And we have a system that tends to aggregate authority upwards and we have a rhetoric that says we want teams to be able to work and make their own calls. That's a hard thing to reconcile and it, there isn't going to be a neat solution. It's going to be a constant battle. So that's where I think we should be held to account for did we achieve that part, that most difficult part of the Secretary's Charter.
I'd now like to ask uh, Peter to uh, provide his concluding remarks. Thanks, Peter. Uh, thank you, Carmel. And I'd like to thank our audience today. It's been a really excellent discussion and your questions have prompted some really thoughtful responses. And it affirms Glenn's reflections at the start that leadership is about people, respect and building teams and less about straight lines of authority. The Secretary's Chart of Leadership Behaviours recognises that how we go about our work and how we work with others is as important as what we do. I was taken by some earlier comments by Nat James about impact. It's a nice term which encompasses not only the concrete outcomes of what you have achieved, but also the myriad of less tangible consequences on your staff and your stakeholders that might flow from your actions. Now, APS values continue to set the expectations of impartiality, integrity and accountability for the APS organisational culture. And they are critical in the context of our democracy and governance. But the Charter takes this further, describing the behaviours required of a modern and dynamic public service culture, one that is collaborative rather than siloed, one that invests in people, respects diversity, and creates an environment where ideas can be contested. David has spoken today about how the Charter was developed. He and former Secretary Simon Atkinson took an idea that was a central part of the cultural renaissance pushed by both the 30 Review and the more recent hierarchy and classification review. And they worked it through secretaries and through the secretary's board in a remarkably short time frame, given the complexity and profoundness of what was being proposed. The charter's now launched, and what we do from here is important. Through the work of our talent councils and the data we have collected on our, on our senior leadership cohort, we know that APS leaders are highly motivated and excellent at managing complexity and scale. They deliver. They're also resilient because in large part they haven't received a lot of support from the system and we're working on this. However, we're also aware, and this has come up in the discussions uh, this morning, of the behaviours that we need to develop. APS leaders need to get better at enabling and empowering others. This takes time and effort in a world where, where we are time poor and often under pressure to, to deliver results. The Charter rightly zeroes in on this and other behaviours to ensure a less hierarchical and more joined up public service. For as secretaries, we have a legislative role as stewards of the APS to ensure its future strength. Through the Charter, we're asking each of you to hold us to account. We're also asking you to consider how you can live up to these behaviours. For we all have a role in creating an APS that is dynamic and respectful, that works with integrity and collaborates and empowers its people. So today's event has been an excellent opportunity to reflect on the importance of leadership behaviours. How the Charter is used and embedded will look different across each department and agency, given our diverse roles and workforces. Already I've been pleased to hear about the manner in which departments have begun building the behaviours into the way they work, including incorporating the Charter in performance frameworks, opening up discussions about leadership within agencies, and we have seen some excellent examples of agencies creating videos of their senior leaders, highlighting how they'll embody the behaviours in the Charter, and building the behaviours into the leadership and management courses. <clears throat> there is a role for all of us in embedding and modelling the behaviours of the Charter. I encourage you to reflect on the Charter and talk within your teams about how each of you can embody these behaviours in our day-to-day -day work. At the end of the day, leadership is an action, it's not a position. Understand that and you are a fair way down the road. 
In conclusion, thank you, Nat, David and Glyn, for your time today, and thank you, Carmel, for your contribution in hosting such an important discussion. And please join us now for morning tea, and I'll hand back to Carmel. Well, thanks, Peter, and I'd also like to thank our speakers, Glyn, Natalie and David, for sharing their experiences with us today. It's been a terrific conversation and one uh, great to be part of, to hear about the passion for public service, but also embodying the leadership behaviours that are so necessary uh, to take on those future challenges. And great piece of work, congratulations, particularly David and to Simon, for leading this piece of work, which is now really going to be part of the ongoing conversation and also to hear from uh, Glyn as to his expectations of all of you um, and uh, in, in your roles as leaders. Um, I'd also like to thank you for, um, for joining us and those who are watching later and those who uh, prov uh, proposed pretty good uh, provocative questions and, and led to such a good debate or good conversation. I'd also like to thank IPA for sponsoring this event today and thank IPA's partners for their ongoing support, uh, KPMG, Hayes, Telstra, Minter Ellison, Commonwealth Bank of Australia, Microsoft. As I mentioned earlier, recording of this session along with photography will be made available on the IPA website. And now to conclude proceedings, I'd like to welcome you to stay and network with colleagues uh, to continue the conversation over refreshments. Thanks everyone and enjoy the rest of your day. So there you have it, a great conversation. And I was lucky enough to be in the room to listen to that conversation. And there was genuine excitement in the crowd about the priority that is being shown around leadership and the leadership behaviours that have been described by the Secretary's Board, as you've heard there. So, uh, it, yeah, interesting times um, for the APS and really bringing those leadership qualities to life. To you, the audience, thanks again uh, for coming back. Uh, we really do... Uh, are so grateful for your time and your attention. Uh, a big thanks also to the team at IPA for continuing to put the program together, to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support and also to the team at Content Group who do such a great job in making show, sure that the uh, program makes it to air each week. Uh, we'll be back at the same time in two weeks with the next episode of Work With Purpose. But until then, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 